out, nobody on. The playoffs to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three called to the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Welcome back to the Autobot Podcast. My name is Justin Viver, and I'm joined as always by Niv Shaw. We don't have Chad with us tonight, but instead we have a special guest. Jason Mykoff is joining us. Jason's pretty active on Slack, and he fits right in with the topic of tonight's episode. We're going to be discussing the Autonew Prestige League, and Jason's done some really fantastic analysis that he's posted on Slack and on the community.autonew.com forums. Jason, I'll start with you real quick. You've, you've done these analysis, like, obviously you're all in on, on OPL and you've been thinking about it. Like, do you want to just sort of give a quick overview of what you've been doing and, and what you've posted? And then we'll, we'll move on from there. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for joining Listener us. of the podcast. Uh, love your work. <laughs> so it's fun to be here. What I've tried to do really from the first day that OPL was announced was think about exactly how it's going to work, how it's different from FG points, those are the leagues I play in, and how we might be able to play this two-level game where we're playing in our, stand, in our home league and with an OPL entry. So that thinking led me to trying to understand how players are going to filter into the active lineup. I think that's really a key question about OPL because we've never seen the results before. So I started by taking a look at the surplus calculator and going back to the last full season of baseball we had and looking those players up on fan graphs, getting their game logs, and just started thinking about what does the, the typical player look like from day to day? Because you know, often we get we're, our, our focus is more on the bigger picture uh, of our, our odd new lineup. And what I thought about was, you know, there's a big difference between games played and days played or not played throughout the season. So I downloaded a bunch of game logs and started playing around with the data and came up with this idea that maybe I could create some randomized rosters of relief pitchers, randomized rosters of starting pitchers, and, and think about how likely it is that these randomized rosters might get players into the active lineup. So if uh, anyone's interested, these analyses are all posted over on uh, the community page. Uh, so you can, you can take a look in more depth. But the idea is just to, to analyze game logs and see how yeah. players perform. Now, before we, I, I sort of jumped the gun a little bit, before we get into some of the specific takeaways that you had from your findings, I would just want to have Niv go over what Autonew Prestige League is, what, what, how the idea came about. You know, we announced it on our live birthday yeah. spectacular show a little over a month ago. I know there are probably people that didn't listen to that. Shame on you. But <laughs> if you didn't, you missed that announcement. So I wanted Niv to sort of cover some of that information again for anybody who's listening to this that isn't aware. What are we talking about? What is the Autonew Prestige League? Yeah, I think so. So Jason's work is super interesting on this stuff. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to dig into it. Autonew Prestige League is 
you know, the two-layer thing is a really great way of talking about it. It's a game that you can play if you're playing Auto New Fantasy Baseball and not in a new league. You have to have been in a league for at least a year, or the league has to have been around for at least a year. And these are games, this is a contest that you will, in the future, qualify for. This year, you didn't have to qualify because uh, 2020 was such a weird year and I didn't want to create, I mean, nobody knew that they would have to qualify for this contest. In 2022, you will have to qualify by finishing top six in your Auto New Fantasy Baseball League. And any team that you have, you can now enter, you will be able to enter into the Auto New Prestige League. There are only 240 slots this year. I am not sure there will be 240 next year. Uh, there might be fewer. I'm going to have to, I'm, I'm making some, well, we're going to have to adjust it on the fly. I think we're going to be able to adjust this contest a lot as we go forward in terms of what it takes to qualify, how it's divvied up. I was thinking about, well, we can talk about some of this stuff later on. But, and so basically, you don't have to manage anything in the Prestige League if you've entered. And 240 people have this year, sold out in five days after our 10th, 10-year birthday spectacular. I am pretty sure Justin's laughing right now because I was very certain that I wasn't, well, I wasn't certain it was going to sell out. And hearing from Jason, hearing from you just now that you were immediately excited as soon as it was launched to like dig into this stuff, like it sort of showed, like the appetite was there and people were really excited for a new game. And I'm, I'm really happy to be able to launch a new game, like coming out of 2020 and into like what hopes to be a more regular year. And yeah, so the point, the points that are super important about OPL is that it's a points-based game. So it's points, Fangraphs points, so scoring format everyone is familiar with, and many of you play. It is best ball, and best ball, it turns out, needs a little bit of an explanation, which is that you, the site, the system is setting the lineup for you. So it's every 10 minutes, basically, we're going to look at all the scores and everyone's production, and we're going to fill in your lineup accordingly to op- optimize the number of points you can get within the restriction of a head-to-head lineup without any game start cap. So to remind everybody, that means two starting pitchers, five relief pitchers, one catcher slot, and then the rest of the standard on a new slots, first, second, third, short, middle infield, five outfield, and a utility. Yep. So the difference is the important points there. There's only one catcher slot. There's only two starting pitcher slots. And that's where Jason's in, in five relief spots. And, and this is where Jason's analysis becomes really interesting because the best ball is just going to look at whoever on your entire lineup and your entire roster scored points that day. Anyone with zero points or negative points is just going to automatically go to the bench. And it's going to try to figure out the most points you could have gained in that day if you set your lineup perfectly given those restrictions. The other twist that that's super important and has generated a lot of conversation in Slack and on the forums, is that your lineup is not going to be, your roster in OPL is not going to be aligned one-to-one with your regular auto new team's lineup. So I entered, for an example, I entered my team in League One, uh, Negative EV, it's Team ID 3. Its lineup, or its roster for the first month of OPL, meaning from April 1 until April 30th, is going to be whatever my opening day lineup is, aka what my Negative EV roster looks like at 4 a.m., on April 1st. If transactions happen around that time, the system is set up to look at exactly four o'clock on the dot, four zero 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 zero, like all the way down. So there's, it's gonna be really hard to game that and to do shenanigans. And on top of that, if your roster happens to be illegal at that moment, the site will automatically make remove players from your roster in the order that they were added in order to make your team legal. So that means if somebody gets on the 60 day IL 
at 4.15 in the morning on April 1st, you will not get that roster spot. If somebody has moved off the 60-day IL at 3.59 a.m. on April 1st, which, you know, would be a really rude thing for a baseball team to do, you you will lose that roster spot, and you will then, as a result, lose the most recent player you added to your team. You won't lose the player who was taken off the IL. It, the most, it's just the most recent transaction. So there's some safeguards in place to make sure people can't do things like run 60 guys out there and get a best balls with as many players as possible. You obviously are beholden to trying to compete in your home league as well. Like You have to do as well as you can there. You don't have to do any management, which I'm really excited about. I think that makes it a little bit easier to deal with. But then it becomes a really, I think the trade-offs are both like macro level and also micro level in terms of how you manage your roster, how you think about buying versus selling in terms of qualifying for the future, keeping your team competitive in OPL without totally selling out. And I think it also gives opportunity to teams that aren't in OPL to take advantage of teams that are in OPL in a sense, like putting quote around advantage. So I think it adds a lot. I know there's a lot, Justin, you want to talk about this stuff like a little bit more in depth, but this, those are sort of the g- general shapes directionally I wanted to, to go with this. And yeah. the, I'm excited. The, I, I think it's going to be oh, super yeah. cool. It's like Justin's hype. <laughs> we're we're going to be talking about it all year. I mean, yeah. it's going to generate a lot of discussion, a lot of content. One of the things you haven't mentioned yet, as far as the way this is going to work, is also the concept of when there, those roster snapshots happen, like the first one's opening day, and then that begins the first round. Yeah. As of May 1st, another snapshot happens, but the bottom 70 teams are eliminated. Right. So, you know, so it's almost like a, like if anybody's played NFBC cut down, it's sort of some, somewhat like that effect as well, where as we progress and then June 1st is another cut down and then the all-star break starts the playoffs. That mechanism is really interesting. And then Niv, if you want to speak to the yeah, reduction so, as well. Yeah. So I, I, there's Justin nailed it. The cut line sort of game format I know a lot of sites are starting to consider like best ball cut line formats, which I think are really interesting. That basically says that like you don't have to set your lineups, but at the end of every round, I'm calling them. So the first round ends on April 30th. At May 1st at 4 a.m., we're going to have everyone's scores for that month. The bottom 70 teams are going to be eliminated from the tournament. The remaining teams, 170 teams, are going to compete. Uh, they're, all their points are going to be reduced down to 25% of what they scored in the first round. So that gives you some benefit from the first round, but it doesn't overvalue a hot start. And then you do it again a couple times. And then we get down to basically the inspiration for this was like Champions League or March Madness, just like a total like luck of the draw wild tournament at the end, just a shootout at the end. So that'll start at the All-Star break, which is like really... Man, I'm really I love the way the schedule works because it's you play up into the all-star break like a season-long game, and then all of a sudden you're playing a head-to-head where you are randomly matched with another team that won the week before it or is in the tournament still, and you just have to score more points to them in that two-week period, and that's it. And that's high variance, that's gonna be wild. I think we're gonna have a ton of fun tracking those games. I think there's gonna be games that hinge on at bats. There's games that are gonna hinge on like ground rule doubles and like it would did that actually clear the wall and stuff like it's going to be nuts and like just so everyone who's listening knows like scoring corrections like if they're not done within 24 hours they will not count so it's going to be just in that moment it's going to be exciting it's good some teams are going to get real bad luck some teams are going to get great luck it's going to be super fun i think 
Um, yeah, that, and, the tournament is like, oh man, I just can't wait to watch that. Like, I think like yeah. <laughs> a lot of because a lot of people are going to be bored. Sort of the last the, the last week of September doesn't give you a ton if your league's already decided, and this is everyone is going to be able to just refresh this game page of whatever the finals are. It's going to be so fun. I think. The nice thing is you're not going to be scrutinized by any like lineup choices you make at the end of it. Yeah, no. you can't, right? Because it's all done for you. You just have to say, well, that's my team. And and that's your team as of the All-Star break, too. That's the other thing it that's interesting. totally, yeah. Is, like, if you want to make any trades with OPL in mind, you've got to get those in before the All-Star break. And I think it pushes some some trading activity, maybe a little earlier, depending on what, you know, what kind of league context you have. It also um, gives you room, I think, well, we'll see. I think, because a lot of it's theory crafting, but also yeah, yeah, it's a lot of <laughs> for teams that aren't in OPL to maybe sneak in and snag some stuff after the All Star break, right? I think there's a ton of ways this could break out, and I think each league, like Justin, what you said is right. It's actually league context. It's going to be yeah really interesting here. Okay, so let's let's start talking about the strategy, and we we already alluded to it with with Jason's posts, but Jason, I want to ask you. So you you did all this work, and a lot of it was revolving around getting the most utility out of roster spots and the positional eligibility of the players that you have and, and how many starting pitchers you should roster if you want to optimize that. So why don't you, I'll let you take the floor. Why don't you discuss some of those takeaways that you had when, with all that work that you did? And maybe if you could give some, I know a lot of this is, is, you know, most, most audit OPL leagues have already drafted, but if you want to discuss what you think at this point in time, sort of the best plan would have been if you would have had to go back to day one and say, this is how I, if the perfect OPL construction, this might be what I would say it would be. Yeah. And the, the idea of a perfect OPL roster construction is very interesting <laughs> to me because it's, it's I, probably yeah. a white whale a little bit too. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So when I, uh, when it should I, be interesting. When I started looking at this, I was thinking, is there such a thing as a perfect roster construction? And really that may be my, my biggest conclusion out of all this is that I don't think there is, I don't think there is an optimal roster construction in part because, as you said, you know these trades might be league context-specific. I think building a roster is league context-specific. So that's going to be a, play a big part in the roster you're building for OPL. But the, one of the other big conclusions I came to is that the, the, the best ball system is really efficient, I think. I think it's going to be very efficient in moving players who score at least meaningful points into the active lineup. And, and that'll make it fun, right? That'll make it a positive experience because you're not frustrated that, oh, I'm losing so many points. Yeah, it's it's really nice to not have to deal with, like, the two home runs and point two innings. Like, maybe you expected a better outing out of John Gray, but maybe you shouldn't have, you know? But, like, you don't ever have to look at that negative 40, right? So. Yeah, and if you think about the context of a 40-spot roster, if you're if you're all in, on OPL and you're thinking, you know, I've got these prospects in playing in the low minors. Maybe I'll ditch them because they're they're zeros, right? What can I do with these 40, 40 roster spots? And looking at the data from 2019, again, this is all backward looking, not projection based. The idea that, well, if you have a reasonably constructed roster, you're likely to do pretty well in, in getting those players into the active lineup. So in my analyses, I cut off the analysis of starting pitcher roster size at 15. I cut off the relief pitcher roster size at 15. 
And even at those sizes, where realistically, you know, I, I've never that, seen... That's a really large number, right? Yeah, I've never seen an new team no. that has that many pitchers in either category. Uh, but I just wanted to test the outer limits. And, and those outer limits, it turned out, there really isn't all that much of a limit. Uh, so if you're rostering 10 starters, if you're rostering 11 starters, you can probably be pretty confident that, that those starting pitchers are going to get into the active lineup when they have good days. The same for relief pitchers. So that was a bit of a, a surprising result when I first started this, but I was pleased to see it. it. It means there's a lot more flexibility in how you might design your roster. Yeah, one of the things I think that's like underrated a little bit or not, you know, it's not intuitive, maybe is the right way to say it, is is you're going to end up with a lot of guys on your bench just because they're going to go over four or they're not going to get into the game or, you know, they won't or in a pitching situation if they give up a home run or whatever. There's so... And and it's 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 interesting to me, Jason, that you found, and I and I imagine this is probably going to be true for. Well, let me ask you: Are you planning to do other positions? Are you planning to look at outfield? So, for starting pitchers and relief pitchers, I uh, created these randomized rosters of varying size and did thirty thousand simulations. I chose those, which seems like a a pretty a pretty complete. <laughs> And, and and totally normal and totally reasonable <laughs> thing to do. Yes. Uh, who doesn't oh, enjoy simulating <laughs> rosters on a on a quiet Friday night? Literally just shuffling baseball players. I'm sure this is exactly what Niv expected when when he had the idea to introduce this. I thought uh, I was the one who was going to have to do it. Is the thing. <laughs> no, you have you have some dedicated uh, customers and and users that are that's really all awesome. in on the concept. And so, so you did these thirty thousand simulations of both SP and RP and. And you found this, these answers. Do so you think like that just holds because of? Well, I, I chose those because they are closed-ended positions where we don't see a lot of multi-eligibility. It's very easy right. to funnel starting pitchers. You just sort by game start. You do the same thing for relief pitchers, and it's easy, right? That's the e those are the easy two positions. The others, the hitters, they're much more difficult. And my coding skills are not as good as NIV's. So <laughs> I looked into linear uh, programming and, you know, it's, it's a bit above my head in this short period of time. Oh, man, I believe you me. It is a little above my head as well. It is. <laughs> it was pretty wild to write some of that code. Just to be a little bit more explicit about this, like linear programming is like the way you solve this problem. You basically, so if I... I, I don't care if you want to recreate a best ball, a scoring format, go for it. You create basically linear functions that describe each restriction. The restrictions in this case are the lineup, who is on your roster, and what positions each player plays. So, you know, we were, we were kind of ribbing on one of the guys in Slack about if the system could understand multiple player eligibilities. But actually what it does is it creates a copy of each player for each position. But it's it's optimizing it such that only one copy of that player is allowed to play. It could be second base Jeff McNeil. It could be third base Jeff McNeil. It could be outfield Jeff McNeil. It depends on how the rest of the function comes together. So that's like a whole class of problem that can be optimized using linear programming. And that's in fact what I did for this. I'm actually really proud of this from a technical perspective because I've made a pull request and I actually had uh, the guy who wrote the library for the linear programming function I ended up using incorporate some changes that I introduced because of AutoNews. So that was pretty neat. But this thing, it, it works super fast. It And I actually have running on my laptop today, I was running the first three days of League One in best ball 
surprise, surprise, I my negative EV was in first place, of course. And uh, it, it, it calculates it super fast. So I'm really excited to, like, that's just an important point for people who are going to be sort of refreshing the leaderboards page. I, I hope that's going to be like five, 10 minute turnaround on updating. And it, it, it optimizes lineups super quickly and using this math and, you know, obviously we have our points that we just score for everybody all the time. Yeah. So short of linear programming, I came up with you, it. It's, it's hard to do offense then, right? It is. Like, it's very hard. Yeah. yeah. So short of doing that, I decided, well, you know, I'm not gonna be able to simulate it quite the same way, but I want to get a sense of, and I know that a lot of other OPL managers want to get a sense of, does, do these findings hold for the hitters? So the approach I took with hitters instead was to simply calculate the mean positive score days for each player. So I looked at the game logs. Oh, that's really interesting. I like that. Yeah, for each of 308 players, again, from the surplus calculator, and coded their negative scores as zeros. So, you know, a relief pitcher gives up a dinger, you're getting a zero that day. And also, importantly, coded all the days they didn't play as a zero, because days are important in OPL. And then just looked at the mean positive days. So I, I calculated the positive days for each player, averaged it out in each position, and, and thought about, okay, so first baseman, they're looking at about, 15, about 16 mean um, positive days across the course of the first 30 days in 2019. So that's about half the time that a first baseman is going to give you a positive score on average. Right? So by looking at those percentages, you can think about, all right, so on average, how many of these players are going to fit into the active lineup on any given day? And the results jive pretty well with the, the simulations I did for pitchers. So it, it looks like it's a pretty efficient setup. Yeah, and so and just to go over those results real quick, I mean, for you already mentioned relief pitchers, you found that to accommodate five relief pitcher slots, you would need about 15 relief pitchers to maximize the positive points per day to get enough to, to fill. And even then, I think it looks like you were at under really at four and not five. So you could even go further with starting pitcher. Again, it was also 15 starting pitchers to give you a chance to fill out two reasonably two every day catcher. It was three catchers to fill with positive points every day with outfield. It was 10. So I'm hearing I need 120 roster spots. <laughs> that's, to make this well, and that's why And Jason, when, when you said like, I asked the, I, it was a leading question. Is there an optimal roster construction? There almost can't be because there there's too many, there are, and your analysis shows you would need 50 roster spots to really truly maximize. So you have to make a decision. Where am I going to try? Which one then do I think is more important? Or, you know, I want to get into it in a little bit. I think there are some other methods you can use to sort of, you don't actually have more roster spots, but you have functionally more roster spots based on how, what kind of players you roster. You know, with outfield, it's 10 to maximize five spots every day. And then middle infield and corner infield basically were both six corner infield being first third in the util spot which is functionally for most people it ends up being their their corner infield spot so yeah i mean that's 12 22 25 plus another that's 55 roster spots that that your analysis would say if you wanted to maximize the chances that you had a positive point score for every slot every day that's about how many you would need now obviously we don't have that many. <laughs> so, so just to to follow up on that, like I, I've done a little testing with the best ball stuff, and I was sort of surprised because one, I, I'm not 100 percent sure this is going to work exactly the way I envisioned it to the whole way through. But 
from what I've seen so far, it does work pretty well. And the best ball algorithm, I mean, and when I was looking through my team, just the first three days of results, which I'm doing for testing right now to make sure everything's good for opening day, I was surprised by how many, like you will have like three or four empty slots and it's weird to get used to it because when I'm looking at my lineup page, if I see an empty slot, I'm mad, right? Because I messed up something, especially in, in four by four that I play. But uh, in this, I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't feel this. But the, then you see the guys who didn't fill it and you're like, all right, that's okay. That's not the worst thing that that 0 for 4 from Mike Trout, the 1 0 for 4 in the first week didn't count. Like that's, so I think it'll be really interesting to see. And I think the, I think the other thing I wanted to add on top of that is given that this is true and like players are highly variant and day-to-day projections are basically impossible to do particularly well. I think the playoffs, again, are just going to be super crazy. Like, we're going to see upsets galore. It's, there's no such thing as a good team when it comes down to who scores more points in a two-week period, given that the negative points are thrown away. And that's the other thing, is the negative points are thrown away, right? So your Robbie Rays and your... And they're, only, a, they're only hurting you in the sense that the opportunity cost of them not providing positive points, The day points, they pitch really. and you don't get a starting pitcher in that day, that stinks. That's not right. great. But, but you um, don't have to eat a negative 30. <laughs> right. And eating a negative 30 is how good teams beat bad teams, right? Consistently. If you had a two week, if you just did this like in a head to head league, it would be really different because Robbie Ray right. would cost you. Yep. Yep. And I think in general, I'm glad Niv mentioned head to head because really in general, a lot of these lessons and a lot of these takeaways are also very applicable if you play in head to head Fangraphs points, auto new leagues, where, you know, bulk relievers have outsized value because you're getting. You know, you don't care about innings caps because they, those don't exist in OPL and in, in head-to-head. You know, in, in the standard head-to-head leagues that don't have game starts limits per week, it's just like it is in OPL where you have two lineup spots every day for starting pitcher. And, you know, you really do need a lot of starter pitchers to, to maximize that. And, you know, the other interesting thing to me is it opens up a lot of roster construction that is not the same as it would be for a standard league, especially like even just Fangraphs points. Set aside the fact that there are people that are in five by five leagues where the scoring is completely different and they're entering an OPL entry, right? Like, you know, there's there's a whole interesting dynamic there where you can, a lot of these managers could have gone into their five by five draft and started picking up players that normally wouldn't go for even a dollar, but they have value in OPL because it's a completely different scoring format and it's best ball. And as we said, you know, you kind of almost want to get as many pitchers as you can if you can fit them into your roster. So that part's very interesting to me, too, where, you know, it's it's you can enter a five by five team and sort of focus a little bit more on OPL specific values at your auction and and get some guys that you're not going to get a lot of competition for because everybody else is like, why are you rostering him? He's no good in five by five. Well, because I'm using him for OPL with that in mind. And the same thing with trades. Like, I think I've already seen some trades early in the season before the season has begun where you can tell someone was acquired. I, I did it myself. I traded away Gavin Lux and acquired Julio Urias. And the reason was because I wanted to get another starting pitcher. And Gavin Lux sort of felt like a prospect to me. I didn't think he was going to play a whole lot. And I had depth at middle infield. I had multi-eligible guys that I figured gave me that depth. And I was happy to make that trade where normally I might still make that trade in a standard league if I wasn't considering the effects of OPL. But I think the OPL part of it was like a tiebreaker for me where I was like, okay, well, that's a definite yes, because, 
you know, it, it just adds that bonus when you're considering this is a roster that I've entered into OPL and is it going to help me there? Yes. Then that's the tiebreaker I need to say, yep, this is a trade I'm going to do. So let me, let me, let me go higher level a little bit right now. All three of us have a t- at least one team entered into OPL. Niv and Jason, did you draft any differently in your, in your drafts this year? Did you make different decisions? Like I said, did you have like a dollar guy at the end of the draft that you added because you had OPL in mind? Did you construct your roster any differently because of it? I'm curious if it had any effect or if you found yourself mostly drafting the same. I'll let Niv, Niv you can go first. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely did. I, I snagged guys that, and, and, you know, like it's hard to say that I succeeded because league one has seven teams in OPL. So everyone might've been drafting for OPL and I could have ended up with the short end of the stick of thinking about OPL in that league for, for all I know. But no, I think, I think, you know, I added a little bit more pitching depth than I normally would go into a season with, but that, I don't know. To me, it's it, what I it actually did is made me take a normal amount of starting pitching depth. So usually I'm shallow there. So like it pushed me a little bit towards a normal number. But guy, like Robbie Ray and John Gray, guys that I've made jokes about in this podcast already, like both are on my roster in League One. Like the, like that. That's not like those names come from the heart, right? So like it's th- those are guys that I think like I would like to take those bets on both those pitchers in four by four. And I think they're actually both really interesting four by four players, but the real value is going to come out of them in in OPL. And I think they might get me into the first cut at least. And I think that's like the way the way I'm thinking about it is not well. I'm going to wholesale change my entire flow for for OPL because four by four is different enough. But I do think like at the edges, like am I happy I'm rostering John Gray in my four by four league? Yes, yes I am. But am I happier that I'm in an OPL because of it? Yeah. Like, I think maybe the way to think about it is John Gray nudged me towards signing up for OPL. Like, it's like, it's like, it's like a little bit of a cycle there where like, I'm like, yeah, you know what, John, John Gray and Robbie Ray could be really fun, but, but yeah, I want a little bit more depth. I definitely want a little bit more multi-position, but you know, one thing I didn't do, and I'm Jason, I'm interested in your take on this because I know a lot of your analysis indicates uh, you should do this thing. I, I continue to roster prospects and I didn't go totally away from prospects. Now, Jonathan India, it turns out, maybe isn't a prospect anymore, is going to immediately start. But, you know, I, I, I stashed a couple other guys and I still have some, like, Asa Lacey. I, I kept uh, year over year, even though I knew OPL was coming because I, I'm still interested in that future value and that's future upside. And I wonder, Jason, if you didn't if you because your analysis shows that like you need 60 roster spots so like why are you not using the full 40 that you're given like did you think about that a little differently or yeah i definitely thought about that a little differently so well, uh, let, let me ahead. would you normally would you normally roster prospects in auto new because a lot of people just don't mess with prospects normally i'm not a big prospector so i do roster prospects generally i try to focus on top end a small number of prospects, maybe one, two on a roster. Yeah, that sounds similar to what I do. Yeah. Sure. But this year, it was different. This year, I would definitely shy more away from rostering prospects than normally. And when going into the draft for my OPL team, I didn't have any prospects on my draft sheet. I really didn't think that I'd be adding one, so I didn't even bother listing wow. them. I forgot also about the most important choice I made around OPL, which was before I even announced OPL was that I kept Shohei Otani. 
And that was 100% because of OPL. That is not even... Yeah, I mean, it's, spring training has made it look very, very wise that I kept a $23 Otani. But well, we were, we were talking about how can you fake the system into having an extra roster <laughs> spot and Altani is the perfect way to do that right I mean right. you functionally have a util hitter and a starting pitcher in one roster spot rather than two so I think there's definitely some extra value to having Otani on an OPL roster for sure yeah. uh, I, that's how I knew I had to get o- o- OPL out this year because I kept Otani and I had to, <laughs> I had to make sure that that was worth it <laughs> Just in case anybody doesn't realize, the, the motivations from Niv are it's, purely selfish. It's pure selfish, man. <laughs> I told you guys, standings meter, 100% trade right, block. Because you, it because just depends your team. on where I am in my team, yeah. Hey, listen, I you know maybe sometimes I release power rankings only because I have a team at the top of the power rankings. So, so. Yeah, I don't know why 2017 <laughs> power rankings never came out. My teams were not that great that year. <laughs> so, so Niv mentioned the edge cases, and I think that's a really good point. Uh, and that's how I thought of it going into my draft for the OPL team, was I'm going to focus on the edge cases for OPL. You know, the bulk of my roster, I'd really like to try and win my home league here. Uh, yeah, so, and the bulk of your roster just needs to be good. Like, that's true everywhere, right? Like, you, I, actually, let me, let me ask you on that question a little bit more. Do you think there's a world in which if somebody was to truly go 100% on OPL, there are regular players they wouldn't roster that like you would think about the bulk of your roster differently. Like the idea is that like Anthony Rendon is still a good baseball player, right? Like these are like, like Mike, like, I don't know. Mike Trout is good. Juan Soto is good. Like that, that doesn't seem to be so, so do you think there's anything core to change or is it the edges are the only place to really think about this stuff? I wouldn't change anything at the core. Like like you said, Juan Soto, he's really good at baseball. And it really doesn't yeah. matter which format you're playing. You want I would Juan love Soto. to find out. Yeah, right. It's somebody who's like, oh, I want to trade Juan Soto for multi-eligible players for OPL. It doesn't seem right. No, no. So, I mean, it, I, I would just stick with those, those core players. And like you said, the edge is, is where you'd make your decisions. In my OPL draft, I noticed that corner bats were on sale. So I drafted, you know, I, I picked up some more first base only than I otherwise might have, thinking that, you know, maybe these power bats could have some use as a boom and bust candidate for an OPL roster. So I went a little deeper there than I might have otherwise done. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm thinking that I, I really like balanced, that. That's really interesting. Yeah, I wanted a balanced roster and those edge cases. That's where I, I might have been influenced by OPL a little. Yeah, so again, when talking about like the design of the game or whatever, thinking about this game a little bit, I think the that that is the goal, right? I don't want I don't want to introduce a game that makes you I have to cut forty players now and rethink the entirety of my roster. Like I don't think that is particularly fun or in line with it. And I think you know I think there's going to be teams that we see in the playoffs uh, or that get really far along that roster five prospects and like that's okay. Like that that, that like I don't think it should require you to rethink your thing entirely so i think it's it's nice to hear that like yeah the edges are the edges right like good teams are going to do well and bad teams are not and that's like the beginning point that's really the starting point for any conversation about this game yeah and in addition to the edges the other player category i was a little leery about was injured players because i knew that snapshot takes place at the beginning of the season and it's really helpful to have healthy players for the snapshot at the very least so a mike clevenger Right, he's going pretty cheap. You know, maybe I could keep him and get some advantage for next year. 
but that's a roster spot that you're just not going to get anything out of. And now there's even more reason to not fill a roster spot with that kind of injured player. Yeah, playing playing chicken with the 60 day IL is 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 just uh, like you're going to get yourself into trouble doing that. I think. Well, but even even outside of that, like if you think about somebody like Chris Sale, if he doesn't come back by the All Star break, then you're not getting him at all for OPL. Right. So if he comes back right after the All Star break, you're not getting him at all. Well, I shouldn't say that. You would get him if he's on your roster. You would get him when he comes back. Right. But if you, you know, if you were adding him, or you know, you have to, you have to pay attention to, like, if Chris Sale's out there, you have to make sure he's on your roster by the All Star break. Right. Right. If, is if, what and, I was trying like, to say. Right, and that's right. Right, and like that's true for that's going to be true for so many names that aren't Chris Sale but are going to be relevant. Right. And, and you. Go ahead, Justin. Well, I was just going to say, like, I mean, how many players pop up in August or especially in September when we have, you know, yeah. late season call ups? Like, unless you were ahead of the curve and you already rostered those players, there are going to be a lot of useful players that just aren't going to be on OPL rosters for this playoff period because they weren't there as of the All Star break. So, right. Um, that again is by design. Like, I don't want. Because I think that also affects your home league, right? And like, we're calling it home league or parent league or whatever. Like, I think like you don't want to make a situation where you can make a trade on August 31st that swings OPL, right? Right, like in the middle of the playoffs. So having the playoffs start and then just saying like, well, any roster moves you make now, they're only for your home league, right? And yeah. you have to make decisions. So that's going to be interesting too because I'm I'm really excited to see who decides to tear it down once to make the playoffs. Well, yeah, there's, right. There's going to have to be a team like that there's, sure. like, of the 32 teams that make it. If, if so, I'm in fifth place in my home league and I've made the OPL playoffs or if you know, whatever the case, or maybe I'm in third and I'm like, yeah. Well, not even third because you probably want to try to qualify for next year if you want to take that bet. Sure, but, if but you're, if I, I can slide from third to sixth. If you're yeah. in seventh or eighth and you've somehow made the playoffs because of the variance or just you've barely scraped in because there's going to be a 32nd best team. Yeah. And in that makes it in. And yeah, I think like that gives you room to maneuver in your home league. You still have a month and a half to make decisions there that affect you for next year. And also, if you're like in seventh and you want to make a big buy, like you have to decide when you want to make that buy. And I, man, I think that's going to be really neat to see how people navigate that. Because I think at the end of the day, like Justin, you released the power rankings. I know you want to talk about those, but there's no way of predicting what kind of trades people make and what kind of moves people make and what kind of players people are able to add from well, free agency. And, and that's one of the points with the prospects conversation is like, yeah, if you're looking at how do I maximize my OPL roster as of opening day? Yeah. You wouldn't own, you wouldn't have any ro- prospects on your team or any, you know, minor league players on your team, whether you want to call somebody that's already in the majors, but has a rookie eligibility, a prospect, you know, leave that aside. But yeah, you would you wouldn't have prospect minor league prospects on your team, but at the same time, if you make that first cut and you're looking to make trades in May so that if you make the second cut, you're setting yourself up to have the best opportunity to actually advance throughout the contest and get into the playoffs and have the best team possible in the playoffs. It's going to be really hard to improve your team mid-season if you don't have future assets to trade to people, and prospects are one of the best ways to do that. You know, we talk about it all the time on the podcast that they're they're capital for trading in most cases. You know, they're not giving you points, but they're giving you they're being converted into points because you can trade them for for short-term assets. So it's it's a balancing act, right? Like you can't if I'm in a league, like in, I will say that in most of my OPL, I think I, I have four entries. I don't think I have more than one prospect, minor league prospect in any of those entries, maybe two. 
And so it's hard. It was like, I don't want to avoid them completely because I do want to have something that I can leverage to improve my team, both for the home league and for OPL. But at the same time, I also didn't want to have even three or four because it just limits those. That first month is so important. I mean, I'm pretty sure I can qualify most of my teams through the first cut, but I don't want to miss a cut because I had three dead roster spots and I was at a disadvantage compared to anybody well, else think, that wasn't carrying those prospects. I think the answer is exactly what we were saying in the beginning. Like, there's just so many different answers to how yeah. to do this, right? And, like, I totally understand that instinct. But I think at the same time, like, when I'm holding Asa Lacey and Tyler Freeman, I think, for a buck. And, like, the, these aren't, to me, the upside is really good. My goal in my home league is to qualify for OPL next year. That's, like, the way I'm thinking about it. So I want to finish top six. And that's trade capital. And at the end of the day, like you can't just dismiss it outright, right? Like even Justin, just now when you were talking about it, there's trade-offs to that, right? Like it's not, and I think that that's the thing that's super interesting. Cause I think what it really, what I wanted OPL to do, I wanted two things really out of it. The first is to make it valuable to finish in sixth versus seventh. Like finishing in, t- finishing fifth versus eighth is a thing that people always complain. It's like, well, you only get prizes for top three my league only does prizes for top three and that's fair and then then there's no reason to come in fourth versus eighth but now there is right because now you have a chance for a t-shirt some money and certainly like the prestige of being in this competition that a lot of teams are never going to be in and aren't in the other thing i wanted to do is to sort of to to really make people think harder about the in-season transactions that they make and by saying and in saying that, I mean exactly what Justin and I just sort of went back and forth on. Like, how do you make a buy? How do you make a sell trade? And when you're making a buy trade, what kind of assets do you need? And is this really wise in either sense? And adding another layer of uh, repercussion to a trade, both in a good and bad way, I think sort of magnifies the power of the trade. Because I think a lot of people make trades that are sort of like, yeah, I'll package all my expensive players to you for three prospects. And when you start seeing that, like, I'm in seventh place in my league and I want to sell, and there are three teams that are really interested in adding bats, maybe I shouldn't package those anymore. And, you know, like, it's sort of a different way of allowing both buyers and sellers to have just a tiny bit more leverage, I think. And it's going to change the price market also for these players, depending on how many OPL teams are in your league and how close you are to one of those snapshot dates. So if you're getting close to a snapshot at the beginning of May or a snapshot at the beginning of June, you might see a lot more activity. Prices may go up for particular free agents. The trade market might be shifted around a little bit. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I'm really interested in the April 29th auction market versus the April 20th auction market. That's a really good point, actually. Like, yeah. it could be it could be up, it could be down, right? Because people may not want to bid because they're like, well, if I'm stuck with this guy... Yeah, I'm interested. That That's a really interesting point. Yeah, I think that's totally on point. The other thing I was thinking about is from a trading perspective is like if I'm a rebuilding team, I, I kind of feel like I have more assets that are going to be more interesting. Like if I have a low to mid-tier starting pitcher in a normal league, it may not – if I ask a rebuilder if, or a, a contending team if they're interested in them, they'll be like, man, maybe, but they're really not that much better than the other pitchers I have. Well, but if that team is in OPL – yeah. How about I, I take two of your young assets 
young players for my mid to, mid to low tier starting pitcher, you free up a roster spot that you can convert into something else that's more functional. And you're getting a starting pitcher that you can always use. You can never, like we said at the beginning, you can never have too many. Right. Like it, or, I think it also gives you more paths to leverage trades when, when you have those OPL entries in your league. Right. So I think like the trades will be a little bit different shaped, just like the way you said, Justin, because I think it will be, there will be one team that's like, yeah, I'll take a mid-tier starter. And that's something you necessarily didn't, you didn't necessarily buy in the past, right? right? You'd go scour the waiver wire for it. You'd be like, this is a nice to have, whatever. But now you're playing against 239 other teams in this other game. And again, like these are, these are things that like, I think UEFA Champions League do, does really well, right? And sort of like making, they make the best teams a little bit more complete. Like teams have to be a little bit deeper, like the teams that are that are successful in that tournament. And that was a big inspiration for me because I don't think it's necessary that every good team in OPL needs to be like better or something. But I think it's like another thing to think about. And like, if you think you've solved auto new, this adds a little bit more to like, and I don't know if anybody thinks they've solved auto new, but now you certainly haven't. <laughs> and to Justin's point about the mid tier starter, even the low tier starter, if it's a volume guy, Who's going to yeah, go out there guy, and eat or, innings? That's a lot more valuable than than without OPL. Every time out, he's going to give you some positive points as like a backstop. Yeah, that's a good point. Yep. Yeah, and, and, and I, I haven't really mentioned it yet, but for my general strategies that I had when I was thinking about OPL through the context of my roster construction and my drafts, I, for me, a lot of it revolved around the idea that I didn't want to be stars and scrubs because I wanted to be deep because I thought that that would be valuable both on the hitter side and on the pitching side. So I, I didn't tend to, I wanted to have sort of more, you know, a lot of people, a lot of players on my roster in that 20 to $10 range rather than two $50 players. And then a bunch of $1 players. The other thing that I'd really focused on quite a bit was trying to have those offensive players that were multi-eligible, which is easier to do this year than I think it will be in the years going forward because so much of that eligibility was retained because any 2019 eligibility carried over into this year as well. I think it's going to be harder to do that next year. But for this year, like I have one roster where I've only got seven or eight hitters on my bench. I think it's seven hitters on my bench, but I have every position covered with like at least six players in terms of eligibility. So I have six shortstop eligible, six second base eligibles, but there's a lot of overlap. It's one player can fill multiple positions. So I feel like that gives me an advantage as well, where I don't have, I don't need to have quite as many hitters because I have hitters that can slot in nearly everywhere. So I'm not going to lose out because, well, I had a hitter who had positive points, but I already have two, a first baseman and a, and a util filled. And now this other player can't fit in because he, because of the, the position eligibility restriction. So that was another thing I tried to focus on. And then in general, like the takeaway for me from, from Jason, from your posts and your analysis was really just, you almost can't like, you can't have too many pitching. So I focused first on, I think starting pitchers, the most important, just keep adding starting pitching Relief pitching, a little less important just because each day they're in your lineup, they're not going to score as many points as a starting pitcher is when they start. If an average starting pitcher is like three and a half points an inning um, and they go five innings, you know, they're getting 15 to 20 points. A reliever, even a very good reliever is probably going to cap out at 10 points per appearance. So starting pitching being more important than relievers. And then, like I said, with hitters, mostly eligibility because you you run into a situation where you have to make a decision. I can't go too deep in my bench because then it limits to the number of starting pitchers and relief pitchers I can have and vice versa. Or if I do want to carry a prospect or two, 
those trade-offs are really interesting. But that was kind of the sense. And again, as, as Niv and Jason said, and I agree with 100%, I don't think it changed any of my core decisions with my teams, but it definitely on the fringes, I was... You know, my $1 players I was adding after the auction were over were specifically with OPL in mind. You know, if I had a couple roster spots left that I didn't fill at auction, because sometimes I get tired and I don't want to keep drafting and I pick them up the next day and I'm looking at guys that I think are going to be players that I think are going to be more useful for, for OPL. So, all right, we we talked about it a little bit. We, we mentioned it. I did produce OPL specific power rankings. Now, the caveats are long with this. First and foremost... Like I, Jason was part of the discussion. I, I had a couple of people on Slack that I was trying to bounce off. Like, how would I even do this? What's the best way to do it? My first idea was producing a set of dollar values that were like best ball OPL specific, and then using the surplus calculator, running each league where there's an OPL entries in, in the surplus calculator and just doing the projected total team value and ranking teams that way. That got to be burdensome because I wasn't sure exactly the best way to produce those dollar values anyway. So I settled on through the input of people like Jason and, and the others and other Jason on Slack and, and Westy on Slack as well, who I credited all in my post. I, I made an article post of the power rankings is up on pointsabove.com and that's where you can find them. I decided to run just a total points. I have points standings dashboards that I have for my patrons on Patreon for five by five, four by four. I don't think I've posted the Fangraphs points one yet, but I need to do that, which basically just looks at the rosters, adds up the points. I used ATC projections, but the one limit I had was I only counted the top 21 hitters on a team's roster because that was kind of the point. And again, a lot of that was based on Jason's analysis that I wanted to give credit for any pitcher you had on your roster because they pretty much all are going to be functionally valuable, but hitters beyond the 21st, you, the diminishing returns that happen there. I didn't want to give every, those teams credit for those points necessarily. So that was the method I used. Obviously, there's a lot of variance and it's it's for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> and I didn't even ordinarily rank teams in, in the article. I just put them in buckets. I have a bucket for the teams that I'm projecting to make the playoffs, the teams that I'm projecting to make the second cut, the first cut. When you project that, like you're basically saying, you're 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 saying this is the top 32 teams. Yeah. Well, at this point, at the point that I I ran this for the purposes of this post, there were only 200 out of the 240 OPL Sorry, entries right, that drafted. Right. So the the proportional, I think it ended up being you know 26. But yes. So right, the teams in that bucket are the teams that project to be in the top 32 once all the teams have drafted. I'm going to do an update to this, probably at least one update to this article. And it's something that I'm, I'm probably not going to do in season because we're going to have real standings to look at, but I'll probably have standings reviews and I'll probably compare it against, well, here's the 32 teams I thought were going to be playoff contenders. How many of them made the first cut? You know, I don't know what that number, like if I had to guess how many of the teams that I'm going to have in the top 32 final power rankings for OPL, how many of them make the cut? I would think almost all of them, but... It'll be very interesting to see if that's true. How many of them make the second cut? How many of them make the playoffs? I think there's going to be a lot of variants, obviously. there's The methodology I used is not bulletproof, and there's just variants with this format and with baseball in general. But it's kind of fun to see, okay, these are, these are the, the teams that look the strongest going into the season. Did you do any analysis based on the format that the leagues, the teams are coming from? Not 
not in this post, but it is something I'm going to include when I do the final rankings. I can tell you just looking at my sheet right now, the top team that I have right now is a five by five entry. There's a saber entry in the top 10. That's wild. There's one head to head entry in the top 20. I've kind of expected there might be more head to head entries, but in a way it almost makes sense because OPL is so closely aligned with head to head strategy. It means you have more competition in your draft to get the players. Whereas like in five by five, you know, maybe there'd be less competition because that's the thing. Like, how do you improve your team without everybody else poaching the players that you want to get that that fit that strategy? So I guess in some some ways it makes sense that there's not as many head to head teams at the top of the rankings. But but I'm seeing five by five teams. The the top four by four is pretty far down there. They're like in the third, late 30s. But I think that might just be a function of there just being fewer four by four teams overall. But there's going to be a lot. I mean, I'm when I do like reviews during the season after each cutdown, that's probably going to be a lot of what I look at. Is like who, who survived, what formats were they in, how good were they when I did the power rankings before the season, how good were they last year because Niv includes their prior year ranking, their standings ranking in the prior year. You know, it was interesting to me to see how many teams were in OPL this year that wouldn't have qualified otherwise, and I think that number was. Yeah, there was a little over, there was 51, it looks like, teams, 52, 52 teams that were in seventh place or worse last year that entered OPL this year. So they would not have otherwise qualified without this exemption this year. And some of those teams are top 50 OPL. So it's kind of interesting to see, in fact, one of them's in the top 25. They finished 10th in their league last year, but I'm projecting them top 25 in OPL right now. So that's going to be interesting to see too. And and we were talking, Jason and I, before we started recording about, you know, and, and it's, I know it's something I've talked about with other people on Slack as well. Like how many teams are going to win their, go on to win their league, but they get cut in the first cut down, right? Like all you need is a bad month or one or two of your guys gets hurt and you're out of the contest. And that's going to happen. Even if you have a very strong team. Judging from trade offers for Eloy Jimenez right now, uh, <laughs> that might be the case. I'm really interested in like whoever does win OPL if they do pull off the double, right? Because I think that's that's going to be a challenge, and I think like you know we'll have to see because OPL is going to be really, really, really brutal. I think when we get into July and August. Yeah, and it, that, that was one thing I didn't look at when I did this latest batch was where those particular teams also rank, like just in the home league surplus calculator dollar values or anything. But that would be interesting to look at, too, just to see. I mean, I think in general, strong teams are strong teams, even if you're playing in a 5x5 five five league. Yeah, but they could have somebody in their home league that's better than them, right? Absolutely. Like a, top, a top team yep. could, Yep. and that team just didn't enter OPL. Right. I have saw that a lot, in fact, because the way I did this was I had to enter each league. So every every entry and every league that has an OPL entry, I ran through this dashboard one by one so I could see. And there were so many where I'm like, well, the top ranked team is not in OPL. So if they had entered, you know, and there were some that would have been probably top 20 teams in OPL if they had entered. So it's definitely not a comprehensive, these are the best teams in Audenew, I don't think. But I think in general, a lot of the strongest teams in Audenew did enter this contest. So I think we're going to see that that cohort of playoff teams, they're all going to be very, very good teams. And I think they're all going to be probably right in the mix uh, till the end of the season in their home leagues as well. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting. There are, there are some managers that have multiple teams in the top projected 32. Uh, Another thing Jason and I were talking about before we started recording here was 
what happens when you do you have to face yourself in the playoffs? Like, could you be lucky enough to have two teams make the playoffs and then you uh, face you yourself? Could. You could. Uh, there's no restrictions on that, right? There's no you can't play yourself in the playoffs, right? There's no there's no rules around. It's literally just random gonna, seating for those teams that make it, right? Every team that's still in the tournament, we're gonna shuffle them up, and we're gonna every two get to play each other. So, there's gonna there's gonna be so much. It's gonna be wild, man. Focus on those matchups, and I, you know, I'm sure some good natured competitive talk. You know, if you happen to have maybe a couple teams managed by people that are on Slack, and they're it's gonna be really fun. I'm really excited for that that portion of it. I think it's also it's just like something to lock in on. August and September can be really rough for for how long a baseball season is and i know even in 2021 we're like super excited to have like a full baseball season but i know in august people are going to be like (laughs) but you know it's going to be it's this is going to be a thing that's going to be a little energizing and being able to compare even the other way is like you're going to be able to compare your team with any of these teams right because you're going to be able to see everyone's like this is going to be a really i'm trying to make this site as transparent as possible there's no human interaction right you don't get to set your lineups. There's no roster organizer. There's no trade block. There's nothing that like is secretive. It's just your roster and the points they scored, and everyone's gonna be able to see it. It's not gonna be something. And you'll be able to, and you'll be able to see that for any entry, right? Even any not entry. just your own. You can see, you know, I can look up Jason's team and see how many he scored. And you'll be able to go or... through every any team that's eliminated. You'll be able to go through every single day that they were in the contest and what they scored and how. Because for me, that that holds me accountable. That holds the algorithm accountable that's doing the best ball. If there's a mistake made, I want to know about it. I want to be able to fix it. And I'm hoping that that, you know, doesn't come up in the first couple of weeks. We sorted that out. And then going forward from that, it's just like, it lets you know if a team, like, it helps you get a shape and a feel for what that team is doing in their home league. It gives you, uh, so that's accountability for that. And then it's also just, like, fun, right? You get to see, like, yeah. who's good and and how does my team compare to it. Maybe I didn't enter OPL, but my team looks like it could have been a top 20 team. Right. And I think it's going to create, I mean, this dynamic of Autonew, this portion of Autonew is going to be much more of a spectator thing than... A lot of other right. areas of auto new. Like, and we I don't, don't care have... if, if somebody was winning their home league or whatever, even though they're like, you have the global leaderboards, which is a somewhat recent addition. I think a lot of people do pay attention to that. But I, I could see us doing a live Autobot last day of the season thing. Sure. Right. right. And just being like, well, we have the scoreboard up for the final. And if it's close. And it could hinge on that final day. I don't see a situation in which it doesn't. Right. right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the swings you can have. I saw something like 200. You can have 200 point days, right? How do you, how do you, so, so we could easily be in a situation where we're just watching it, watching the games and then recapping the season. And I think that's, that's good for the community and it's going to be super fun. And like the fact, you know, Jason, I I have to thank you because like the, like your excitement about it, like, and you shared your knowledge in a way that I think is really awesome. Justin is usually the only person who's willing to (laughs) show their cards like that, but it's, it makes the game approachable. It makes people understand what they're up against. And it's really helpful. And I, uh, so thank you for doing that. And I, I'm really happy to hear, again, I was telling Justin before, I, the day before we launched, nobody's going to sign up for this. And <laughs> You're so it's, ridiculous. It sold out in five days. I was, I was. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a blessing and a curse, you know? <laughs> it's, it's why I respond to emails right away, but it's also why I'm sitting here being morose that nobody's going to sign up for this game that everyone's super hyped about. Yep. So I'm really excited for it. And uh, yeah, I, I, I can't wait. I cannot wait. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Like I said, I'm going to have at least one more batch of power rankings, especially once the all the teams have drafted, because like I said, not all the entries have drafted at this point. So I want to do it 
with the most up-to-date ATC projections right around opening day and then after those teams have all drafted. So the other thing real quick, and I know Justin, you're interested in this, like I, I plan on having a pretty robust API. Again, there's no interaction here. So a lot of stuff you can just read. So I'm hoping to have like a, a nice CSV export of all the rosters yeah. of teams that aren't eliminated. And then I'm going to actually have a full JSON API. If you're listening to this and are a developer in any way and you're interested in that, let me know. And and one of the things that I'm immediately thinking of in response to that is, you know, how many rosters have Mike Trout? How many, you know, were you doing like player 100%. analysis and what's the win rate? Like if you had Mike Trout, how, what was the percentage of those teams that then advanced for I think there was, the cut and things there was like that? There was like a ro- OPL rostered percentage for teams that are not eliminated request. And I will not have that on opening day, but I don't think it's going to be far into the season before that's on the site. Yeah just a big old leaderboard of who is rostered the most on OPL teams. Cause I know that especially best ball, like best ball football, there's some best ball football formats where they do like they're called win rates, like where you draft a player and which these, like this particular player has like a 15% win rate. So it sort of speaks to if you had this player on your roster, you were more likely to win the league. And I think some of that analysis with OPL, like, cause a lot of this, like you said, you, you mentioned it earlier, it's theory crafting. I mean, we're just sort of, we're trying to be informed with those speculations, but we can start to see yeah. the actual results playing out. And, you know, am I correct in that having someone like Mike Trout maybe isn't, I mean, yes, Mike Trout is Mike Trout, Juan Soto is Juan Soto, but at the same time, because you had to have a $70 salary on your team, maybe it just didn't afford you the opportunity to have as much depth as you really needed to have to to perform as well as you should in a best ball format to advance to the each round it's going to be interesting to look at that once we actually start getting results, especially that first cut down. That first cut down is going to be really interesting to then start, you know, parsing everything after the fact and seeing what all right, what happened. <laughs> One of the things I'm interested to see in the roster comparison, especially later on in the tournament, is the concentration of star players because they're going to cancel out in a lot of cases where, oh, my that's another my yeah. Bregman is canceled out by your Bregman. Yeah. Man, and, getting, and maybe getting finding... a draw where you get you have contrasting stars versus the same stars. Really interesting. So maybe finding that breakout player is going to be even more important because you're the only one in the tournament who has that guy. Uh, and oh, that gives you point. some leverage over the other teams. Really interesting. And then, and, and then that segues into discussions about like the, the GPPs and DFS formats where you're 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 not just trying to get players that perform well, but you're trying to get players that perform well that not everybody else has on their on their lineup as well, because that's how you actually win the whole thing. And yeah, that's a great point. You know, and the people that the teams that are rostering, whoever those players are, then you know, Aaron Judge when he popped up or Juan Soto when he debuted and things like that, like whichever teams have those players, we might see that they really perform a lot better. I think it's gonna have a big effect. I think there's gonna be one or two players that we're gonna see like Every OPL roster those players were on advanced to the second round of the playoffs. I really think that we're going to see that. And I don't know who those players are. I don't think anybody could know who those players are before the season starts. But I think that's going to be interesting to look at as well. So, okay. I think we're going to stop here. We we probably could discuss as many of our topics that we discuss on this podcast. We could keep talking for hours and hours. I just want games to start, man. It's yeah. so we could definitely talk for hours and hours if there were games on right now. Yeah, I would uh, just hang out and we could just we could just watch the leaderboard. It'd be so fun. We'll do that. We'll do that. Well, not opening day because I'm not going to be around. But uh, you know, opening day is always a trap. But we yeah. should we should start thinking about cut days and stuff because it's going to be just yeah. 
it's going to be must watch, man. If you if you care about this tournament, if you're into auto new at all, like it's going to be really. I don't. I think it's going to be really exciting. It's going we to could be, do. We could do live shows on on cutdown nights. You know, the night before a cutdown, and see. You know. Uh oh! See how late the games go, man. Right, you can have some Dodgers extra inning game. <laughs> yeah, got to stay up until two in the morning. So to figure out who cuts, who makes the cut. Yep, yep. All right, I want to say thank you, Jason, for joining us. It was great to have you on. I mean, the work that you were doing was so interesting, and I thought, you know, it was you were the best person to have on to talk about some of the strategy and and sort of give an overview of the work that you've done. So thank you for joining us tonight, and uh, thank you to the listeners who listen to us ramble on about this. And have a good night, and we'll catch you next time. Hey, hey, hey.